Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Are you aware of our newly launched Patreon? If you want an opportunity to access additional podcasts and other freebies, please check out our website, thesavvysauce.com, and click on our Patreon tab. For as little as $2 per month, you can unlock some of these freebies as you support our work at The Savvy Sauce. If you want to keep listening for free, we totally understand, and we simply ask that you share this episode with a friend. It should take you less than 10 seconds, and this grassroots approach is the best way to spread the savvy sauce throughout the world. Each one of you plays an important part. Thanks for participating. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite brands in central Illinois, Lehman Property Management. With over 1,600 apartment homes in all price ranges throughout Morton, Pekin, Peoria, Washington, and Canton, they can find the perfect spot for you. Check them out at MidwestShelters.com or like them on Facebook by searching Lehman, L-E-M-A-N, Property Management Company. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. Today, I'm excited to interview Sarah Bragg. Sarah is an author and podcaster based in Atlanta, Georgia. Her podcast is called Surviving Sarah. And if you've ever wanted to start your own podcast, today is the episode you can't miss. We will go over many practical tips for how to get started. Here's our chat. Hi, Sarah. Hi there. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce. Thanks for coming on today. I'm so excited to get to hang out. Well, let's just start off. Can you tell all of us briefly a little bit about yourself? Yes, I will try to do that in a little snapshot here. So I am turning 40 this year, which I still can't believe. I still feel like I'm like, aren't I just like 23? Isn't isn't that true? Um, So I'm turning 40 and I've been married to Scott for, I guess we're celebrating 13 years this year. And I have two girls. And so Sinclair is in fourth grade. She's about to be 10. And Rory is in second grade. So she's going to be eight. So I'm the only one who like rounds up. I start rounding up ages like about 10 years months before I actually turn that time. But so I'm like telling my youngest is turning eight. I mean, she still has like six months to go. I need to slow down. She's seven. So we'll, we'll, we'll make myself slow down here. But anyways, currently I am a podcaster and I am a writer and a communicator and host. And I've just have always had a heart for ministry, ministering to women specifically. I can remember, I just shared this with some friends last week. I can remember being, I guess I was 20. I don't think I was even 21 yet. And I was at like this leadership kind of thing for this internship I was doing. And they had us write a purpose statement. And at the time I wrote to inspire, encourage and serve women for the glory of God. And I just loved that because I was 20 years old. And at that time, you know, my emphasis was working with young women. So middle school girls and high school girls, people that were just one step behind me. And I just love that. 20 years later, that is still the heart of what I'm doing. And so I have a history of just working in ministry. I worked in full-time ministry for almost a decade, and that was student ministry. And then I've been working for a nonprofit organization called Orange off and on for the last 12 years, just helping to create resources for churches to use to help them partner better with parents and to reach the next generation. So that's kind of a snapshot. I, I'm an author. I, I wrote a book forever ago. I always laugh. I, I 
I was like 27 when it came out, but it's called Body Beauty Boys, The Truth About Girls and How We See Ourselves. And so again, it's that heart for ministry for those young girls. I just thought if they could understand what I know now, what I wish I had known then. And that's really what that is, my story of body image and learning how to find contentment in who God created me to be. And the podcast is called Surviving Sarah. And it has been around for just over two years. And it is just the most fun thing. It is so fun to get to sit down with women and men. I have been on the show too and have conversations with people to get to hear their story and how they're contributing to the world and just really get to be a megaphone for who they are and get to cheer for them. And so that's been a really great highlight of what God has kind of pushed me in the last couple of years. I love that because it sounds like even as young as age 20, he planted this seed and now he's being faithful to carry on to completion what he's put in your heart. Yes. And you know, and it's so funny. I was telling someone the other day how my dream job when I was that age, when I was in college, like graduating college, was to be the co-host with Regis Fieldman. It was going to be like live with Regis and Sarah. That's what I wanted. And so it's so fun to go, oh, this is like I'm hosting. Like I get to host a show now and it's sure I don't have Regis by my side, which would be very fun. But it's that same dream of what I was dreaming then. I'm getting to do that now. And so that's been really fun. You've mentioned a few of them, but you've accomplished some amazing goals. You've completed seminary, written a book, launched a podcast. So is all of that typical of your personality type or did you have to overcome some obstacles? You know, it's funny. I don't I don't think I would have said it's my personality type when I was younger. I, I don't know if I even knew that about me. Yeah, I wasn't a driven kid. My mom would say I was the most easygoing child. She's like, bringing you home from the hospital was like bringing groceries home. Like you were just easygoing. I could leave you anywhere. I could put you in anyone's arms and walk away. And you were like, okay, see you later. Like so easygoing. But something I feel like in me, as I grew older, this drive really kind of appeared. And I think that it just was one of those things where I I love ideas. I have ideas all the time, but I still would have never thought of myself as an idea person. I still would, so I feel like there has been something in me that has this drive or this, I do have a fear of failure, but at the same time, when I feel like, no, this is what I'm supposed to do, I feel like I have a very strong confidence about what I'm supposed to do. And I think it's confidence in, in God and confidence in what he is pushing me towards, even if I don't totally feel like I know what I'm doing. Even with ministry, when I, my first job was actually at a minor league baseball team. That's where I began my whole career. And I thought I wanted to work in baseball, but I think I just probably wanted to marry a baseball player if I was being real honest. (laughs) So my first job in ministry was in California and I was living in Tennessee at the time. And I didn't blink an eye at that. I was like, yes, let's go to California. Let's do this. And so I feel like I have always kind of maybe as a young adult and leaning in, I have definitely always had this sense of what's next. It can be a a bad thing, but it can also be a great thing. And it pushes me forward to try things and to do something new. And I think I love meeting new people. And so all of those kind of things always open themselves up to being with people. And I think that's part of who I am as well. Oh, that's so cool. And then unpacking your personality a little bit. I know I've I've heard on your podcast, you've said you're an Enneagram three. Is that right? Yes. Well, let's totally just take a rabbit trail. So how did you discover that was your number? Did you take the paid test? 
I took a free test online. It was going around our office. We were all talking about it. And I was like, okay, like I love, I'm fascinated by all that kind of stuff. And so I took it and then I just like, oh, three with a two. That's what it first came back. And I was like, oh, whatever. Like, and I didn't even look into it. And then the more I started looking at it, I was like, oh, this is kind of depressing. Like I need to feel valued and I need to feel loved. And I was like, oh, this is why, like, this doesn't sound very good. Like I was kind of like, um, and then the more I started reading into it, I got the road back to you by Suzanne Stabile and Ian. I can never remember Ian's last name. But, um, and I read that and I started reading online and it was those things where you're going, oh gosh, someone has been spying on the, on the corners and the insides and the cobwebs of my brain. And they wrote it in a book and I don't know how they did that. And so, and the more I kind of researched and learned, like Suzanne Stabile was on the show and she really kind of unpacked, you know, what each number was and did kind of this big overview of it all. I think I'm probably a three with a four rather than a two. I think in the state of life I am in where you're a mom, I'm a mom and I feel like you kind of have to be a helper a lot, but that's not generally who I am as a whole. And if you look back on years past, there's a lot more of that creative kind of brain. And it's funny because I can't remember now what the four is called. Five is the investigator. I can't remember what the four is. But anyways, it's one of those where they value authenticity and they value being real. But then I'm a three who is like playing this game of like, who do I need to be in order to be valued by this group of people? And so I always feel like the four in me is prosecuting the three in me of going, Oh, you're not really you. That's not who you are. This is, you know, and it's like this crazy, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to be checked into a mental home at some point for my personalities. But it has been fascinating. It's been really helpful to learn like who my husband is. He is a five and it's been helpful to just kind of be able to understand him and things that would a lot of times frustrate me. Like, why don't you have enough energy to go and do this? Why can't we have people over every weekend? You know, why can't we do that? And it's going, oh, this is like, this is who he is. And this is how he operates and sees the world. And this is what he gains from this. And this is what he loses and all of this. And so then it helps me to have a little bit more grace for who he is and how he operates of going, this is just how he is wired. This is not a bad wiring. This is good wiring. And, and if I can understand that, then I can offer him a whole lot more grace for who he is. You've said before that you've been through seasons of finding your voice, then losing it and finding it again. Can you elaborate on that journey? Yeah, you know, and I think that's part of the hardship of my wiring of that three who's constantly driving forward. And so I feel like, you know, my 20s were very accomplished years. And, you know, I started my first ministry job was at Saddleback Church. So it was this large mega church in California and doing this thing. So I just kind of started there and I didn't even, you know, work my way up. That's where I started. And so that was in my, you know, I was 22 maybe at the time when that happened. And then published my first book when I was 27 and was traveling and speaking and then transitioned at this point was working for this organization that was well known. I knew all these people. It was like I was so networked and doing all this stuff. And, and then I had kids and it was like the brakes screeched stop and all the achievements and all the striving and everything just stopped. And so it was a really hard moment of feeling like, okay, I was moving so fast forward. And then I had this kid 
And that was a whole nother thing because I couldn't achieve this kid. Like there was no success at the end of the day. The only success, if I could have gone back and told myself was like, well, you changed her diaper every time and she was fed and you kept her alive. Good job. That was your success today. But it was one of those where it just was different. And motherhood was very different from what the career that I had been in. And so I feel like that was part of it. And being in a place where I was essentially hired because I was this voice and I had, you know, I was a published author and I was a communicator and all these things, but then they decided not for me not to use those gifts or skills in what I was doing. And the combination of my age and having a kid and then that just crushed my voice. I all of a sudden began to be very self-doubtful and who I was and what I had to say and what I had to offer. And going back to kind of Enneagram talk, if, if my main thing is to feel valued, that was a season of life where I felt unvaluable in everything. And so it just really pushed me, I feel like, in a dark place of, I feel like I didn't enjoy motherhood. I feel like I, I didn't have any words to say. Like I remember my publisher would come back to me and like, we really want you to write another book. And I was like, that's great, but I have no words to say. Like, because at the end of the day, sure, I didn't have a lot of words because, you know, being a first time mom and of a newborn or even a one year old is just a lot. But I questioned my voice. I didn't feel like my voice was worthy anymore um, because there were certain people that I valued their opinion and they said, your voice isn't what we want. And that just crushed me. And so there was several years of just not doing the things that God had really skilled me to do. And, and of course, I, you know, you can look at it and you can see there was a season. Like I, I can look now and I think, well, I'm so, of course I didn't have another book to write because I needed to live some more life. I needed to experience some more. And so I can see that in hindsight. But it took about four years of really just almost like circling back to the truth even that God had taught me as a 20-something in regards to body image. It was the same kind of struggle. It was the same questioning of identity and questioning of worth, except I wasn't starving myself. And I wasn't looking in the mirror and going, oh, you're, you know, you're so ugly or you're not this. But it was the same root problem. I was looking at my voice and who I was and what I had to offer and going, well, you're just not worthy. Like, you're just not good enough. You're just not good enough for us. You're not funny enough or you're not whatever enough. You don't write in the right voice. And it took about four years of really just going back to those essential truths of, you know, I think about how, you know, Genesis 127, that God created man in his own image and that men and women are the only image bearers of God. And that alone gives us value. If nothing else, we have value simply because we were made in the image of God. Nothing external, nothing that because of what I did, nothing It's just simply because I was created with his image with that intrinsic value and going back and just reminding myself of that truth or reminding myself of, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well and how he intimately acquainted with all my way, all these, like coming back to how did he weave me? He made me unique. He made my voice this way. And it's okay if these people don't value your voice because your voice matters because God created you this way and he's given you something unique to say. And so it was years of 
reinforcing those kind of truths about my identity and where my worth and my value really comes from so that when the opportunities came back up to use my voice and I was ready to speak and ready to write and ready to use my voice, I was able to walk into the same organization, the same people, all these things, and be at a place that was much healthier and go, it's okay if you don't want me to do this because I know that apart from anything external, I have worth and my voice matters. Those years were really as hard as they were and as I hated walking through the pain of that and kind of in my mind, it was a failure and I don't like to fail, (laughs) but it was good. It was good and it brought me to a place of being able to do what I do from a place of acceptance, not looking for acceptance from people. It's exciting to see now on this side that one of your dreams, having that voice, being a podcast host, that's coming true. So what practical steps would you recommend to a listener who has a dream, whether that's launching a podcast or something totally unrelated? Well, I think dreams are good. And I think take a step, you know, I'm a big cheerleader for other people's dreams. And my, like my mom always laughs at me because if she says something, I'm like, okay, what if you did this, this, and this, and you could do this thing. And she's like, stop trying to make me like do something. I'm fine. I don't need to do that. You know, but I just love this. I like put some action to whatever that dream is. Even if it's, you know, a step, I have people all the time say, I think I want to write a book. And I'm like, do it. Like when I had the idea to write my book, um, it actually wasn't even the book that got published. I was an intern at you know at Saddleback and the intern pastor was like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, well, I want to be like, a, you know, I want to be a writer and a speaker. And he was like, well, if you want to be a writer, maybe you should actually write something. And I was like, oh, novel idea, like take a step, do something. And so I had no agent at the time. I had no book deal. I had, I had none of that, but I just sat down And I started thinking, what do I want to say and who do I want to say it to? And then out came a book. And I just would sit down and no one was paying me. And I would go sit at a coffee shop or sit in my room. And I just wrote a book. It's like you're just taking the next right step. And I think sometimes we have dreams in our heart that may not ever even come to a fruition of payment. Or I think a lot of us think the only measure of success on our dreams is if someone pays us for it. And I don't think that's true. I think that just even like doing something with your dream, taking steps with your dream, those are steps of success. And so that would be my advice is just whatever that dream is, think about what the next right step might be and then just do it. And then just kind of, you're just following the next right step. Cause even launching the podcast, you know, I was in a season where I didn't know what was next. I just knew I was ready. My youngest had gone off to kindergarten and I knew I was like, I know God is not done with me. I may have at one point thought I peaked at 30, but I knew that I was not done, that God still had something to do through me. And I just didn't know what it was. And I said, is it speaking again? Is it writing another book? What is it that you want me to do? I just know that I want to use my voice. And I know that God for years had been saying, you need to push others forward. And so it was in the season of just seeking, seeking out, what do you want me to do? I don't even know what the dream is. I just know that these are the things that I want to do with my life and went to a conference and ended up in a breakout about podcasting for no other reason than there was nothing else to go to. And it was there that God was like, I want you to start a podcast where you get to use your voice to push others forward. And so that was in an October. And then I launched the show two months later. So it was just like, okay, let's do this. Like you just start taking steps and one step leads to another, you know, and at some point it may stop, 
and that's okay. But I think it's one of those, you owe it to yourself to, to at least take a step on the idea or the dream that you have. Yeah. And it's great to hear how you were just faithful in that thing right in front of you. Now let's speak to the person whose dream is to launch their own podcast, and we'll break it down to a practical level. We heard where your idea began. When you mentioned that to your friends and family, what did they say when you said, I want to start a podcast? Yeah. Well, thankfully, my husband was clued in enough about podcasts. So he said, I don't know why we haven't thought about this before. He's like, this is the absolute perfect thing for you. And so I had some friends around me that really kind of championed that for me. Um, And then I had people who were like, what? What's a podcast? What is this? And so it was like a strange, like podcasts were moving forward, but they were still not totally everyday language for people. I had some people around me that were like, yes. And I'm thankful that my husband was because that would have been hard if he would have been like, I don't think this is a great idea. And it was a hard season. He is also an entrepreneur. He is a perpetual idea person and creator of things. And so we were in a season of both of us at that year, 2016, he had tried launching something new. And then here I am trying to launch something new. We're going, Oh, why are we both launching something new at the same time? But thankfully podcasting is not expensive. You can get a microphone and some headphones. And as long as you have a computer and then the monthly like hosting service is, is cheap. So it's one of those where I was like, okay, this didn't take a lot of expense for me to make happen. And I think that was helpful. I mean, my time, but actual like hands-on expense was not bad. Sure. So if you had to guess a round number to start a podcast, Mm -hmm. how much do you think yours cost? Oh, I don't even know. We started with really good microphones. My husband is a video editor. And so this is a little bit in his world. So he's like, we are going to have good microphones. That is one thing that we will have. So our microphones were a little bit more expensive, but I think that you can get a microphone, a good one for around $250. And then the hosting site, I use a site called Libsyn and it can be as cheap as $15 a month. You can use a WordPress site that doesn't cost anything. And And as long as you can learn how to edit, I just actually learned how to edit. Even though my show is over two years old, my husband has been editing it this whole time. And I just learned how to edit like a month ago. So I'm real proud of myself right now for learning how to edit a show. What do you use to edit your show? Okay, so we use something called Adobe Audition. And the reason why we use that, again, my my husband is this video editor and he uses Adobe for video editing. He's like, listen, if you want my help, if you run into a problem or have a question, you've got to learn Audition because if you use GarageBand or something else, then he's like, I won't know how to do it. So I learned on that. And so it's been it's been good. Like someone said, that's a harder one. But I feel like to me, it's a little bit it feels intuitive. Do you have any other tips like technology, websites, books? Or other resources. Yeah, you know, my favorite, I just launched another podcast two weeks ago. It's called Are My Kids on Track? And it's a kind of companion study with a book that already exists by the same title. And so when I was launching it, it had been over two years since I had launched a podcast. And I was like, oh, wait, what do I do? Like, how do I like, you know, apply to iTunes? And how do I upload like a brand new show to Libsyn? And so my friend, JC, She used to be the host of the Around the Table podcast, and she's a good friend of mine, and she wrote a podcast guide about how to start a podcast. And so I'll be sure I'll send you the link so that you can put it in your show notes. 
but that was super helpful because it truly was like step by step. And she even breaks it down. Like if you need to know how to edit, she teaches you how to edit, like how to, you know, prepare like question, all these things. And so it was super helpful to be able to just refresh my memory using that and going, oh yes, you know, these are the qualifications for an iTunes image. And these are, you know, all of that stuff she included, which was super helpful. Definitely. Thank you for being generous and sharing that. We'll link to it for sure. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Lehman Property Management is today's sponsor. If you're looking for upscale living in the hottest spots in town, start your search with Lehman Property Management today. They offer the most exciting options in the most desirable spots in central Illinois. And you can call that place home today. Are you interested in downtown Peoria? Check out their rentals at the fabulously renovated Marquette Building next to the College of Medicine. Unique floor plans, restored original oak floors, and beautiful views of downtown Peoria await. What about Peoria Heights? 1221 Durier offers immediate access to the fine dining and shopping of Prospect Avenue, with brand new accommodations that include 9-foot ceilings with huge windows overlooking Peoria Heights, electric car charging stations, and community party rooms. Is Morton where you want to be? The upscale Jefferson building located along the downtown boutique shops and restaurants provides spacious living areas with stainless steel appliances and top-of-the-line countertops. So whether you're looking for Peoria, Morton, Pekin, or Washington, Lehman Property Management has what you need. Check them out today. You can find them online at MidwestShelters.com or like them on Facebook. Just search Lehman Property Management Company. You had alluded to this earlier that it was maybe two months, but I just wanted to clarify, how long did it take to get from an idea to the first published episode of Surviving Sarah? Yes, it was two months, pretty much exactly. It was mid-October when I went to that conference, and so I came home and I wrote down a list of 52 people because I was like, if I can think of 52 people, that's one year that I could ask. Now, whether they said yes or no, you know, I didn't know. But I thought of all the people who I would want to have on the show, and some of them were big names and some of them were just normal people like me. And so I just, I wrote those out and I thought, where am I going to start? Like, who are people that I'm texting friends with, you know, so that I know that there are people that most likely would not say no to me. I'll start there. And I think I recorded about four episodes before I launched. I launched with two episodes, which is always good to launch with more than one so that people will listen once and then they'll listen again. And that will help your kind of boosting your show in iTunes a little bit. And so I launched on like December the 20th. So the week before Christmas, because I thought, well, maybe people will be traveling and they'll listen because they're traveling. So I just knocked out a few and I, I get to do probably, I don't know, maybe 40, at least 40 percent of my podcast episodes are recorded live in person in my home. And so I live in Atlanta and there's just a lot of people here. And so it was fun to get to have some people come around my table early on and get to have a conversation in person. And then it just kind of rolled from there. And I, and I always tried to stay a couple of weeks out so that you weren't just recording and then feeling the pressure that it's got to come out, you know, in three days. So, um, I gave myself a little breathing room before I launched so that I knew that I had some episodes in the can so that I could, you know, get some momentum going because people who are moms, especially summer's always coming you know, there's always a winter break. So there's always these breaks that you've got to like think about and like plan for. And 
plan ahead and so that you're not scrambling all summer long going, oh, well, how am I going to record an episode with people in the background? I, I couldn't do it. There's no way. I just wouldn't have a show if I had to record in the summer with my kids. But yeah, so it was about two months exactly of start to launch. That is really helpful to think about winter breaks, summer breaks. You still release an episode one per week. Is that right? That's right. 2017, I took one week off. I took the week of Christmas off and that was a big deal. I I was very like nervous. I don't know, I guess because you've been in the rhythm of doing this. And I remember just feeling like it's okay to take a break. I can, you know, I think that again, lends itself to my achieving personality. And it was one of those where like, you just need to trust it's okay to take a break. And some advice I heard early on is to Either answer is good, but either treat it as a hobby or a job. There's going to be two different ways you approach your show. And either answer is good, whatever it needs to be for you. But for me, I knew I wanted it to be a job. And so for me, I was like to take a week off was was really hard because I thought, oh, no, am I I not doing what I need to be doing or doing enough or people are going to stop listening or people are going to... I had all these things. But yeah, so I took the week off though. And it was fine. We survived. Every week, every Tuesday, it comes out. And then for that summer break, what has been your solution around that? I hustle up in March and April. And so currently, and I have never been this far out. I don't know what happened. My husband was laughing at me because we were turning the calendar year. And I said, I'm really stressed. I don't know if I have enough people lined up. And then all of a sudden I looked at my content calendar. I was like, oh, like I'm two months out. So that has been helpful just to hustle up or I'll like, Last summer, I remember I picked one week in that and I thought, okay, if I can record a few episodes this week or something like that to where it was in the first year, I was like, if I could do one week a month or, or one day every other week and they could go to the neighbor's house for this time frame, and I could line. Yeah. So I think it just takes a lot of strategy. It takes thinking ahead because your built in time that I normally have during the school year is gone, but I do try to hustle up and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time on the front end, but it's nice to not have to stress about creating space in the summer when we just are more lax on everything. So even in the summer, though, as you're releasing these episodes, there's a lot of follow-up, I would assume. Do you still have to carve out time for emails or anything else that we wouldn't be thinking of with a podcast that takes your time? Yes, there's a lot of time on the back end of even getting an episode ready. So the recording and the prepping for a conversation, that is one thing. But then the other part, the part that then once you've recorded, that's a lot of time. So not only is it editing the actual show that you're going to release, but it's creating images that you will use for promotion. And it's, I now create voiceover images. So that's another piece of editing and it's emailing with the people that are on the show and and then creating show notes, which includes all my like takeaways from the conversation. And, and so there's just a lot of things on the back end part that takes several hours to create. So because I also work for Orange still in some capacity. So I still have other work that's not even the podcast related that I need to do and need to work on. And it is just knowing I need about four to six hours of, for the podcast And that's just going to be what it is from the back end to make everything happen. And so then I just need to like build that in every week, even if it's while the girls are, you know, 
watching TV or whatever. I, I think last summer I can remember working by the pool, like took him to the pool. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit because my girls can swim. It's like the glorious promised land that when you're a mom of little kids, you just can't fathom. But I can actually sit by the pool and not have to get in the pool. It's a, it's a remarkable phenomenon that happens. And so, so yeah, so there's definitely a lot of work on the other end. That's not just the fun part of sitting and getting to have a conversation. That's a very good realistic picture. How long did it take to get a sponsor? You know, I, I didn't go after sponsors for about two years. It's a tricky line. Everybody is different. And I did want it to be a job. I did want it to eventually pay for something. I have a tendency for my, per- again, this is my wiring all coming out. I, I can tend to push something so hard that it kills the fun of it. And so for me, I was having so much fun doing this that I wanted to be very protective of this creative thing that I was doing. I didn't want to kill my creativity because I was trying to force it to pay my bills. And so I wanted to be very cautious of that. And I was thankful that my husband, because I would start you know, there were moments where I was stressing and feeling like, well, I'm not successful because I'm not making money on it. And he would draw me back and go, no, that's not true. That is not true. And, and he would say, like, just focus on making good content. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep delivering good content. And then with the right time, the sponsors will come. And so in December of this past December, I signed with just a sponsor, like an advertising firm, essentially. And so now they help bring sponsors to me. I'm not having to go after them. They they get the sponsors and bring them to me and I can approve or not approve. I know for me, when I started, I, there were podcasts that were two years in, that were two years, so essentially where I am currently. And I would look at them and think I needed to be where they were, but I needed to be there on day one. And that was something that I would always have to remind myself. No, no, like they have put their time in. They have done the work for two years and they are here. Like I'm not expected to be there on day one or even in the first six months. And so I think there were a couple times in the first year where I had a couple people come to me and ask to be sponsors and it worked out and that was fine, but it wasn't something that I was, and this is again, everybody is different, but for me, it just wasn't a thing that I was going to push hard until I was established and had a proven track record of content and of listeners. You know, it's been great finally getting to bring in some income for what we're doing and that will help offset the cost of not just the website and the hosting and the equipment, but just also my time. It's a lot of time when you think this is a hobby that this, I mean, it's a hobby that I want to be a job that takes a whole lot of my week. (laughs) And so I think it's one of those where, you know, the beauty of sponsors for podcasts, which I think that sponsors realize this is that they live on, you know, I, I record a advertisement for Casper mattress or HelloFresh or whatever. And it's going to still live on like, months from now, someone's going to go and download that random episode and they're going to hear an ad that I'm no longer getting paid for. And so I think that's kind of the beauty for sponsors where they, they see the benefit in advertising on podcasts because TV shows, you know, that it's not the same. It doesn't, it doesn't live on like podcast advertising does. And then on a more personal note for you, how has life changed since launching that first episode? Well, my girls think I'm famous because I'm on iTunes. So everybody on iTunes is famous. <laughs> so <laughs> I always laugh about that. And, the, and my youngest calls it my popcast. She's like, are you going to do that popcast today? 
And I love that. You know, I think that I have felt a renewed excitement about what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And so for those years of like wondering what's coming next and have I peaked and is it over? And so there has just been a real um, renewed drive and a renewed excitement. And so I just think when you're doing things that give you life, there's a different attitude that you bring to everywhere you go, um, whether that's relationships or friendships or ministry, whatever you're doing. I feel like that has changed in that respect. Is there anything else you would like to say as final encouragement to somebody who shares this dream of launching their own podcast? Yeah, I would say just take a step. It's okay if it was for a season that you did this and then you stopped and that's okay too. I've had friends who one friend just stopped and is no longer doing it, but but it didn't mean that what she did during that time wasn't worth something. And then I had another podcast friend who started and stopped for a long time and then started again. And I think it's those kind of things where it's taking pressure off of what you're hoping to do. And one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Off Camera with Sam Jones. And I remember he interviewed Will Ferrell and and they're essentially saying, at some point, if I'm no longer having fun, I'm going to stop doing it. And so it's that never forgetting to just have fun. That's really how I try to approach it. And I pray that before I interview, I'm like, I just help me to have fun with this. Help me to bring out the best in who these people are and just have fun to not be overwhelmed with all the things. And well, I've got to be seen and I've got to be this and I've got to do this. And just remember at the end of the day to have fun with what you're doing. That's really what has driven me, I think, for the last two years is just this is fun. Sure, I'm not getting paid a lot. I was not getting paid at all for a time, but this was fun. I am getting to just have conversations with people, and this is fun. I would echo that. It is so fun. The podcast here is called Savvy for a Reason because savvy means practical knowledge or discernment. So, as we close today, Sarah, we would love to know what is your savvy sauce? Oh, man. Well, I do love podcasts. I feel like that is like, practical like information at your fingertips. A new podcast that is not it's not necessarily new. The Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman. That has been a good listen. It's short. It's like 15 minute episodes. So it's very easily digestible. And so I feel like things like that I've been listening to Deus podcast by Rachel Hollis. Those have been again short, easy to digest. Um, and so I definitely think just growing in the nooks and crannies, like I can listen to this for like two seconds as I'm like running from here to there. So that's a practical thing is just podcast. I know that we've been talking about podcasts, but that is something I feel like I go through seasons, which people are always like, Oh, you must listen to a lot of podcasts. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I'm like, no, I just want to listen to Spotify. I just need to hear music. Like I need to hear songs and not words being spoken. Um, And then sometimes I get into seasons where I'm just digesting lots of words and lots of, you know, stories and humor and all that kind of stuff. Thank you so much for all the work that you continue to do to release this great content. And thank you for being generous with your time and being our guest today. I really enjoyed having you. I'm just honored that you asked. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. 
Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.